When push comes to shove, as it often does for a profession dedicated to protecting the justice system, the fight moves from the courtroom to the marble halls of power at the Iowa State Capitol. Steve Miller here, welcoming you back to a four-part oral history of IAJ and Episode 3, Battles for Justice. As we heard in Episode 1, the driving force for those who founded IAJ in 1973 was to create a powerful lobbying voice to protect the justice system, the trial lawyer bar, and the legal rights of individual Iowans. That focus has never wavered and remains a top priority of the Iowa Association for Justice to this day. Along the way, several epic legislative and political battles have defined the work of the association. Sit back and you'll hear a few war stories from those who stood at the front lines from the beginning, starting with Bill Wimmer, IAJ's first legislative counsel, followed by Scott Brown, IAJ former executive director. Sure, it was election night. I don't know what what year it was. Uh, The Republicans had taken control of the House. Uh, The Democrats had had it, but this election flipped it and the Republicans had control of the House and they had elected their speaker, Floyd Millen from Southeast Iowa. And in his post-election night interview, he said that the number one priority of the uh, Republican Party was going to be to put caps on damages for product liability cases. And uh, and so we fought that all all year long and we'd spent a lot of time, a lot of effort. Uh, traveling around the state and identifying lawyers who would agree to be key contact people to 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 legislators, and uh, I think at our peak we had we had every legislator covered out of the 150, and some of them were covered with three, four, five, six deep on trial lawyers that would be willing to you know to do the grassroots work, and it was because of that grassroots work that that we were successful in 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 stopping that. One of the products that we used as a poster child uh, to leave the law the way that it was, was the trampoline. And I don't know whether you remember the trampoline and how dangerous uh, that trampoline was, but kids were getting paralyzed and killed, you know, on a regular basis. And the, and the trampolines that were being sold in Iowa uh, were manufactured by the Nissan Corporation in Cedar Rapids. And uh, it wasn't long after uh, we had a protracted fight with them uh, that they quit making trampolines, and to my knowledge, or or maybe if they did go back to it, it's with the side shoots that uh, you know that are very protective. And now, Scott. So early on in in my career, you know, we tried to focus some of our efforts on the leaders and to get them to back off of court reform issues. And we had an occasion where the uh, uh, chair of the uh, Judiciary Committee was a uh, was new and and uh, to that position and and uh, he introduced a, a a piece of legislation that uh, Bill reminds me uh, uh, not only addressed non-economic damages but but eliminated non-economic damages and we focused efforts on on him we did uh, editorial board visits where we talked about how bad this bill was and said you know he was responsible and. Uh, Brad was still at the uh, uh, Iowa Citizen Action Network, and we were able to get Brad to get the ICANN and, and allied organizations and, and labor and AARP and other groups to uh, get people in his district to send him uh, nasty letters saying how terrible this was. And uh, it, it worked. He uh, he basically thought that he was on the wrong side of public opinion in a, in a huge measure. and, and uh, 
uh, he not only backed off, but uh, after that, uh, even though he was uh, um, somebody that had been led to believe that trial lawyers were awful and he should always be against it, uh, was somebody that we could work with after that. IAJ foot soldiers often find themselves playing defense at the legislature to protect the rights of plaintiffs, claimants, and criminal defendants. Emily Anderson, the vice chair of the workers' comp section, explains this dynamic next. But as former IAJ executive director Brad Lint later explains, they also find opportunities for progress to advance good law. It seems like year after year, there's some sort of workers' compensation bill that comes before the legislature and um our members have been at the forefront of, you know, educating the lobbyists on how to communicate our position and speaking directly with legislators. That was, you know, kind of reached its pinnacle importance in 2017 when we had a massive revision to Iowa Workers' Compensation Act, and it was not in favor of the injured worker. Um, and many of the core group members and section members, you know, went to battle and, you know, we didn't like the final product, but it was a lot better for injured workers than it would have been without Lisa and Kelly and Troy and the core group up there really trying to explain this foreign language of work comp to the legislators. Every now and then windows open up in which opportunities for progress present themselves. And and we had one of those um, windows open up after the 2006 election. And in 2007, we passed a couple of affirmative bills to enhance trial practice litigation in Iowa, including a measure to end abusive debt collection practices by hospitals who were exercising their lien prerogatives under Iowa Code Section 582. That same session, we also enacted a new tort damage, loss of consortium for the death of an adult child in wrongful death cases. There are a myriad of other smaller, more incremental enhancements that we've passed over the years, including a measure to curb exorbitant medical records copying fees. But those two stand out to me as significant expansions of rights and protections for injured Iowans. And I would be remiss if I didn't also add that we have also passed a myriad of common sense reforms to the Iowa Criminal Code to protect the, protect the rights of criminal defendants. IAJ has a unique role to play at the state level in being really the singular organization that stands up for the rights of those who are criminally accused in this state and to make sure that the lock them up and throw away the key attitude doesn't prevail as the, the governing philosophy in this state. In every struggle for justice, there are heroes who step to the fore, marshal support from friends and allies, and personally lead the charge. There are too many heroes in the IAJ story to cover them all here, including every lawyer who answered the call and served as president. But Bill Wimmer and Scott Brown reminisced on a few heroes that stood out. First, Bill. When I was first hired, uh, Dwight James was the uh, was the president. And he not only was the president for a year, but he was the president for a year and a half because the association changed its, its uh, uh, calendar year 
Uh, and so he's, he, he stuck the thing out for uh, 18 months. Now, you have to also take into consideration that these people are very, very busy in their own practice, and that's what their priority is. But for Dwight to spend all of the time, energy, effort is emblematic of other presidents and, and how much time they were willing to spend to the association. It's a total commitment to not only association, but also to what it represents. And, and the preservation of the jury system uh, cannot be overstated. All the, all the presidents during my term spent a lot of time on legislative efforts and did a good job from John Riccolo to Scott Peters, Daryl Heck, Dan Holm, and on and on. But uh, a couple that should be mentioned, um, Rob Tully was our sort of legislative was our legislative chair for a number of years and, and helped the staff and Bill analyze bills and legislation for, for many years and, and did a yeoman's job. And then during my 18 years, probably the two toughest years uh, or maybe the toughest year was the year Steve Crowley was president. And Steve, uh, Steve wrote these, remember writing these uh, 20-page uh, diatribes on why tort reform was bad and, and uh, that we could give all the legislators and stick on their desks. And Steve uh, flew up to Des Moines several times to, to, uh, to lobby on issues. And, and uh, those two in particular stand out as going above and beyond in the legislative effort. The stakes are always high when the showdown is between the rights of individual Iowans on one side and the interests of powerful corporations, insurance companies, the government, and their legislative allies on the other. Overcoming the challenges posed by a changing political environment requires added resolve to navigate a new legislative reality. Chad Swanson, former IAJ president, and Brad Lent, former executive director, wrap up this episode three of the IAJ oral history with their reflections. Here's Chad. At the beginning of my presidency in late 2019, Accountable Iowa uh, had been around for a couple of years, but we ramped that up substantially. Uh, with the help of Brad and Andrew and the group at IAJ to make sure that we were ready to go for the 2020 legislative session. And it, it bears the point, too, that we were really focused at that point, and we knew we had to at uh, creating a group of friends in the legislature that it, it didn't matter if you were an R or a D. They just un needed to understand the right to a trial by jury and, and the freedom of juries to do the, the right thing for Iowans who are injured. Uh, so at that point, the firewall that we were building against bad legislation was um, was well underway. And we had both the staff at, at IAJ and our legislative contacts really working hard to teach everybody about uh, what it meant to have a real true fundamental right to trial by jury. Uh, so I think 2020 was a, a victory year for us because we held off all of that bad legislation. We took our launch this session for the first time. We have a caps law on the books in Iowa uh, that caps non-economic damages in, in uh, medical negligence cases at a million dollars against doctors and clinics and $2 million against hospitals. And that bill is law for one main reason, which is that it was a priority of the governor of the state, a huge priority. And that rolled right on downhill to leadership in her her own caucus. And we had a number of people who would have held held their votes with on for us 
but for the fact that they received such arm twisting from the governor of their own party. So it's it's a it's a problem, and you know it's, it's something we're going to have to deal deal with moving forward. I think we're we're a resilient bunch, as the profession goes, because we know kind of who we're fighting for. Yes, it you know it has to do with our profession, but first and foremost, it's about our clients, and we kind of instinctively know what we at least a level playing field in a courtroom ought to look like. Uh, when it comes to the laws that were dealt and what we have to do to go in and, and uh, convince a jury in any county in Iowa to do the right or fair thing for somebody that's been hurt. So we instinctively know that. And when you know legislation comes around that just tries to tilt that playing field in, in favor of big companies uh, or entities other than just the the, the normal Joes and Janes in Iowa, we, we want to fight for that. And I think we're doing a, a wonderful job of that in spite of the landscape and the cards we've been dealt politically. Inspiring words and great insight indeed. Well, we've now come a long way together in IAJ's oral history, from the founding in episode one to the transition years in episode two, to the battles for justice covered in this episode. Episode four will feature prominent members speaking about the transformative impact of women on IAJ, the bright future of the organization, and a few of those golden memories that bring it all together. Thanks again to our guests for their time and you, our listeners, for your support of the Iowa Association for Justice.